This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. We have two special guests today. Joining us, we have Rizwana Kwasi, who is an associate attorney for Kingsley Napoli, based in London, as well as Erickson Immigration Group's very own senior attorney, Zara Najam. Pleasure to have you both on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, today's conversation will center around guidance for employers after Brexit's July 1st transition and addressing many questions and concerns pertaining to the nuance and ongoing travel restrictions. Um, But first, let's get a little bit about your guys' background and how did you two first get connected with each other? Sure, I guess I'll start, Rizwan, if you you don't mind. I am, so just as a background, I am the senior immigration attorney for um, the international practice for Eric's Immigration Group. What that means is that I handle all non-US corporate immigration matters for our clients. And um, because of that, I'm very involved with organizations that allow me to connect with other uh, counsel in other countries. Right. And uh, I very involved specifically with the American Immigration Lawyers Association's global migration section. And uh, through that, I had the opportunity to meet Rizwana and some of her colleagues and uh, really get to know them over the years. We've been connected for quite a few years at this point. So we have a lot of history with working together on client matters, working together in UK immigration related matters. So that's how I was first introduced to Rizwana. Um, Rizwana, love to hear more about your background and your practice. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. As Zara said, we've been working together for many years now. Um, I'm a uh, immigration uh, solicitor at Kingsley Napoli, and I've been uh, with KN for several years. Um, my specialism is in corporate immigration, so I advise multinationals, corporates, small, medium-sized, varying sizes, really. Uh, about UK inbound business immigration matters. So essentially how to uh, manage their migrant workforce for um, work visas in the UK, for instance, how to um, comply with uh, obligations uh, that are set out by the Home Office in the UK and the UK government, so sponsor compliance. Um, And then essentially how to maintain um, and keep abreast of Uh, developments, uh, UK immigration legislation and law constantly changes. So it's really important just to sort of educate and keep sort of our clients updated and our contacts updated and stakeholders, just to make sure everyone is aware of, you know, changes, developments, how it impacts their migrant workforce, how it impacts uh, immigration strategy and sort of forecasting for the future. But definitely it's very collaborative. So this is why Zara and I work very closely together and essentially just doing sort of the best we can for our clients and just to make sure that we look after them. But yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, I'm really super excited to be here. So thank you. Yeah, Rizwana, and I also agree that it has not just been a one country analysis for over the past year for our clients, certainly. Um, as I'm sure you already know, you know, oftentimes US or UK or Australia or whatever other country is the first choice for our clients to, you know, hire employees is not 
unfortunately an option. And so it's really uh, valuable for us to have an international immigration network. And in that way, we're able to provide our clients with alternatives and be able to move quickly so that they are not losing the talent, uh, the highly skilled, highly sought after talent that they would like to keep. So it's absolutely important to, to have that as well. Absolutely. For global mobility, it takes global collaboration. And that's what we have here. Zara, you actually did a little bit of migrating yourself uh, recently. So uh, (laughs) can you tell us about, about your travels and where you are now? Absolutely. And it was a fun trip because I actually then got to walk in the shoes of our, the employees of our clients that do this. And I've, you know, helped them for years now. And it's, it's fun to be able to do it now myself. Um, So originally I'm, from the U.S. and uh, I, um, because of Brexit and all the changes that are resulting from that, um, our clients really expected and needed support on the ground in the United Kingdom. And of course, we have Rizwana and her team, but it is helpful to have someone who understands their um, entire global migration program to be on the ground here. So I recently came over to the UK, actually about 11 days ago now. um, And I'm in London currently. And I'm here as a business visitor. And it was really interesting to kind of, you know, go through the step by step process that I usually advise my clients on taking the pre entry COVID 19 test um, and then coming here and walking through the e-gates and uh, explaining to the immigration officers I'm a business visitor here here's why I'm here here's my business invitation letter you know kind of showing why I'm here and what I'm going to be doing while I'm on the ground attending business meetings and meeting with our partners on the ground Um, and then of course complying with the 10-day quarantine uh, which has been a little you know a little restricting limiting and I'm sitting in my London flat, uh, looking out the window, and it's a beautiful day. So I'm glad that I can finally get to go out <laughs> and enjoy it. Just Although a I will say, stunt right there. unfortunately, <laughs> uh-huh. Just unfortunately, it doesn't Nonchalant. always. <laughs> I'm trying, Ian. I'm trying to use the vocabulary <laughs> they use on this side of you. <laughs> Very well, but okay. yeah, it's, it's been fun. There's lots of changes happening in the UK at the moment, definitely in England, um, just with respect to sort of, you know, 19th of July coming up, which is our Freedom Day, quote unquote. So that's essentially where the UK government will be deciding to sort of lift all restrictions. So I'm not quite sure what it's like in the US at the moment, but right now in the UK, um, you know, essentially most businesses are still working from home, most employees, um, you know, there's still restrictions, wearing sort of face masks, social distancing, uh, going out and about, um, there's still an element of restriction. And the idea is from the 19th of July, hopefully, fingers crossed, obviously, things can keep changing, and they do keep changing because of, you know, sort of COVID numbers and sort of numbers, uh, um, sort of infection rates. But you know we're all good I guess from the 19th of July onwards fingers crossed so you know hopefully Zara we can meet in person finally Um, and that's what I'm really looking forward to Um, but at the same time I guess there's going to be loads more questions from sort of clients and businesses in terms of sort of what happens from Freedom Day you know Um, and I know for us guys definitely we're all scheduled to sort of return to work physically around September but right now there's a lot of sort of 
tossing up with lots of businesses in terms of sort of when's our return to work day and um, what do we do with our workforce what do we do with I guess sort of you know all these right to work checks that are suddenly you know going to be coming to an end as you know from the 31st of August I guess is the last adjusted you know temporary COVID right to work check so lots of things to to think about and discuss but uh, definitely 19th of July is going to be our sort of way forward and opening up. Um, I wouldn't say return back to normal, although we'd like to work towards that. And we are still quite restricted here. But I think after the 19th of July, everyone is going to work from a sort of common sense point of view, what they're comfortable with, what they're not. But certainly from the UK government and workforce perspective, there is going to be limited restrictions. So yeah, definitely hope to see you soon. You know, And I know we'll get something in the diary at the end of the month. Yeah, because the Euro Cup is going on now, and that's quite a lot of fun. I mean, you just have to walk the streets to, to see how excited everyone is here Absolutely. in England. Yeah, and also kind of, you know, there's a lot to unpack in what you said, Rizwana, but let's talk about Freedom Day. I know you've spoken a little bit about the lifting of the restrictions within the UK, but what about international travel? Is that going to change significantly? Uh, because we know it's quite limited with the red list and the amber list and the green list currently so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that if you think that that is in the works. Yeah definitely we do have the traffic light system so you know the the set of countries that are in the red that are on the red list the the amber list and the green list but essentially like I said things keep changing all the time and there is sort of breaking news as of this morning that I mean this has been on the cards for a while but the UK government have wanted to sort of inline with Freedom Day coming up, but just wanted to ease restrictions wherever they can. So the idea now is that those from red list countries that come have to quarantine in a, a managed hotel and it's a paid hotel and they have to make those arrangements before they come to the UK. They have to do COVID tests um, as per uh, all entrants coming returning back to the UK they have to complete a passenger locator form so all of those are mandatory anyway under under sort of countries if you're returning from countries on the red list that will that will I I guess remain in place for the foreseeable future I think just because they are on the red list for a reason they're high risk um, and essentially we have to sort of sort of maintain you know safety uh, I guess wherever we can a control on borders and um, people coming in and out definitely from high risk areas but then there's the next list which is the amber list which is well it still requires self-isolation for for those who are coming returning to the UK but you don't have to do that in a quarantine managed hotel you can do that at home the breaking news is is that the UK government has decided and um hopefully this will be more apparent in the media and the news sort of in the upcoming days individuals who've had double jabs so they've had both their jabs and they're returning from an amber country don't necessarily now have to self-isolate for those 10 days upon entry to the UK so that's definitely good news and uh, children under the age of 18 as well don't have to self-isolate so definitely for the summer period um, you know everyone's on summer break schools are closed um, families you know sort of are wanting to travel uh, from a tourist perspective perspective or just from a freedom perspective that's definitely good news obviously it's not immediate we don't know the full ins and outs of how it's going to be implemented and the process but I think that will open up in the next few days in terms of how really this is going to work 
so although we have the traffic light system, there are changes that are happening sort of almost very quickly, constantly. So we just need to be able to sort of keep tabs on, on what's happening. The red list countries are, are definitely those, like I said, um, I don't see sort of much change in the foreseeable future. Uh, amber list, we're already seeing, you know, sort of changes. And then obviously you have the green list where, you know, they're sort of deemed very, well, not very low, but, but low risk um, areas, territories where, you know, individuals can freely travel, travel if you like, to those countries and return back to the UK. They still have to do tests, um, but essentially, um, at least there's no self-isolation and they can continue as, as they are. For instance, work employees coming back to the UK mm. don't necessarily have to think about sort of self-isolation, cannot go out, can I go to work? They can still do things as normal from those green list countries. So definitely helpful, but one to keep an eye on because things can, like are constantly changing on that front. So absolutely. All of that is very good news for business visitors who are coming here only for a few days or a couple of days and, um, you know, not having to account for self-isolation period. So that's hopefully good news. But again, like you said, we'll keep our fingers crossed because nothing is guaranteed these days. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Right. I mean, I, I hope things just go sort of onwards and upwards and sort of, you know, uh, celebrates more of the freedom but but obviously you know I think there's a bit of sensibility here that we all need to be aware of and a bit of caution that we still need to exercise all around yeah so, so I, I did have a question um, how does that coincide with the latest uh, release with Brexit you know after the July 1st and does that impact you know travel is there any sort of restrictions in that sort of way? Because uh, we already know with, you know, the return to work and that's, you know, happening later in July. I wasn't sure if they, there's any sort of intersection there with Brexit. Yeah, definitely. So the, the travel is definitely something um, that coincides with freedom of movement, essentially. So prior to 1st of July, well, actually prior to 31st of December, if we're going back 31st of December, 2020, there was, you know, the constant freedom of movement, European nationals um, could freely enter, travel to the UK for, you know, whatever purpose, tourism, working, um, business visits if needed, etc. Um, then came 1st of January, 2021, where uh, essentially, it was still okay for European nationals to come to the UK for work purposes as long as uh, could show uh, a European passport, uh, an ID card to verify their European nationality. And as long as they were resident in the UK prior to 31st of December 2020, they had until everything sort of past tense now because everything is sort of, you know, last year and then 30th of June and now we're talking 1st of July um, but they had the six-month grace period if you like to apply for their status I guess that's the intersection there just the freedom of sort of returning back home coming back to the UK whether it's for short trips whether it's for assignments whether it's for longer trips um, but essentially just ensure that you're encouraging your workforce to apply for European settled status in preparation for the future, as in from 1st of July onwards, or that, you know, to avoid discrimination where you're not enforcing this, you're still communicating the message, but then also 
doing the right checks just to see if anyone has sort of a European passport or ID card and you have the re requisite right to work checks and you've and you've completed those prior to 30th of June 2021. The idea is, is that you just needed to ensure that you were compliant with the Home Office guidance and right to work check guidance that was issued um, prior to 30th of June uh, 2021. So, um, Rizwana, on yeah. that point, then it seems that for the existing employees that um, our clients currently have who are EU nationals, um, after July 1st, they do not have to do a retrospective right to work check for those European national employees, but they only have to perform the right to work check for the ones that are they are hiring after July 1st. Is that accurate? That, that 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 is accurate for for right to work checks absolutely so no retrospective checks are required however there are employers who are particularly cautious and may be doing retrospective checks so although retrospectives aren't mandatory there are employers and there are businesses who are probably doing some of those checks or already have done some of those checks in any event but but yeah correct it's it's not mandatory so let's talk about um, now we're, we're July 8th and the deadline has passed um, for European nationals to register for settled status. What if they have not applied now? Is there a grace period? What are, they, what are their options? What are the potential penalties? Yeah, there aren't, there isn't, so, so there are so many factors to consider here if, you, if European nationals haven't yet applied for status for instance it's not just about for from an individual basis it's not just about sort of work status oh you know um this will impact my right to work it impacts so many other things so it impacts for instance where they can live so it impacts their right to rent it even impacts the fact uh, you know sort of whether they can even have or show status to open a bank account for instance where they would need to get paid for the work that they do um, it affects essentially their, their access to certain benefits and rights uh, in the UK. So it's not just about work. So if they haven't, it's quite a big deal and it's quite serious in, in the fact that this has to be uh, rectified as soon as possible, whether they can still apply for EU settled status or whether they take a different route and apply under the points-based system, for instance, which is the non-European route and just apply maybe for um, sponsorship, if you like, um, as would non-British, non-Irish nationals, for instance. So if, they, if, if, if you have a European national who hasn't yet applied for EU settled status, um, Either it gets picked up by the employer by doing a retrospective check or just, for instance, somebody who's applying for a new job post 1st of July, for instance, uh, it would get picked up at that stage. Or, for instance, it would get picked up if an individual is outside of the UK, has no uh, idea really that they had to apply for EU settled status or there was a very good reason why they didn't apply and it could be that the Home Office has published guidance in terms of a set of reasons it's non-exhaustive just so you know so you know it could be you know it's going to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis but if there's a good reason a reasonable reason why somebody didn't apply they still have time to apply but it's it, but it's not deemed as an in-time application it will always be deemed an out-of-time application 
So there is time to do that. But what, what the guidance says, if you like, the home office right to work check guidance is that if there is somebody that the employer does pick up that hasn't got EU settled status or hasn't got any other status that they can show where they have a right to work and it's picked up, they then should apply within 28 days. So the hope, so they should be encouraged or signposted or steered in the right direction in terms of applying because they not may, they may not necessarily even qualify for EU settled status. But first and foremost, if they do qualify, then they do have that time or they have those 28 days if you like to apply. If not, and they don't qualify for instance then obviously the the next thing to do is look for the alternative visa immigration category which they need to apply under to regularize their stay absolutely and Rizwana, just for for clarity we do, they don't necessarily have to receive a decision before the first of july the eu nationals simply just have to lodge an application and i understand that the home office is quite Correct. backlogged um and may take uh you know a few weeks or more to respond with the decision but as long as they've applied yeah so essentially what would what the individual would need to show to their employer is if they have a pending application, they usually would be issued with what's called um, a document called a certificate of application, or in some instances, even a notification email that shows that the application was submitted is something that the employer would use. They would then need to go on the employer check-in service and obtain um, a positive verification notice. Um, and with that is what will establish um, a statutory excuse for the employer. All it comes down to is that does, it have, does an individual have a pending application? Do they have evidence of that? Can the employer obtain that evidence and then do a, a, a check on that? And if so, and they get a positive verification notice, then they're covered at least for another six months. So Rizwana, you know, this the conversation that we're having regarding right to work checks and employers making sure that they have the proper work authorization documents stored for each employee really relates to immigration compliance. And I understand that the home office is has started to now resume their immigration audits again. And we're really kicking into high gear come autumn when the uh, businesses actually start to open up. So would you be able to speak to us a little bit about what um, actions companies can take now to assure that they are in compliance when or if the home office does conduct an audit. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, um, Zara. Definitely coming up to sort of Freedom Day, and this has already started anyway, the home office has made it clear that they have resumed compliance visits, although we haven't recently had any practical experience, but what we are saying to, to clients is uh, essentially make sure that, you know, you are complying with your sponsor license obligations. Definitely uh, some sponsors are already coming up for license renewals. So this is just an automatic uh, discussion with them anyway, in terms of, right, so, when you have a license renewal and when you put the application in, always know that there is always a likelihood that this can trigger a compliance audit. Um, definitely with all the legislation changes and the right to work updated guidance, uh, this is going to be, if it already isn't, but it's definitely going to be key when it comes to a home office compliance officer looking at records and undertaking a compliance audit. So employers, if they're not 
already doing this should definitely look at making sure that they are consolidating all their right to work checks. So it can be electronic records or it can be manual records. It doesn't really matter how clients keep these records as long as it's accessible on the day and there's clear copies and it's in line with home office compliance guidance. So, you know, there are copies that are taken, there are declarations on those copies, it's signed and it's dated. Um, and these really all should be done on or before the individual's first day of employment. An additional factor to look at maybe is for uh, employers or businesses that have decided to do retrospective checks. Again, it's not mandatory like we discussed, but for due diligence and compliance purposes, there may be many businesses that, who are doing this. So if that's the case, um, this will definitely bring up and help them bring up anyone who's fallen through the cracks, for instance. And if that's the case, then we've gone through the process. They need to steer and guide them into making uh, an EU settled status application uh, as soon as possible. But if not, then they, number one, may look may need to look at uh, taking employment law advice because if they don't have the required status, then they um, don't have a right to work permission or if they don't qualify for making uh, an EU settled status application or they don't qualify for sponsorship in any other way or a work visa, then immigration advice um, straight away, but employment law advice as well. So they both sort of go hand in hand. And the reason for that as well is because employers need to know that if at the point where they know that somebody hasn't got status, they have to obviously give them the chance, but if they knowingly know that they don't have the correct work visa status or permission to work for them in the UK, then it is um, uh, deemed a criminal offence. So it's quite important and it's quite far reaching in, in terms of effects for the employer, both for the employer and the employee, really. To be fair, it has to be very serious for the Home Office to deem and, and go to the lengths of prosecuting, for instance. But I'm just running through the stages that the compliance audit will pick up these things. And if so, then the employer has to act fast and they also have to provide the employee with the relevant and correct guidance, not from an immigration point of view only, but definitely from a UK employment um, point of view. Just want to kind of unpacking what you've said, you know, there are a lot of details that you've shared with us in terms of the uh, actions that need to be taken on the front end in terms of checking properly the right to work documents for the employee, but then also on the back end and pragmatic level, conducting a mock compliance audit, for example, um, just to assure that the documents that would be requested during a compliance audit when, from the home office are um, actually in the files for the employer. So I know that what I've been doing um, in order to assist our clients um, with making sure that they are complying on both ends is providing right to work training for the HR um, who will actually be conducting these uh, work authorization document checks and making sure that they understand how can they perform in person uh, right to work check? How can they perform a virtual right to work check? What, what are the various steps involved with each? What are the formalities? What do they have to physically see? What do they, what can they just keep a copy of? What do they have to make, uh, the, the notes that they have to make when they are reviewing those documents? And so I think those are all very small details that are, are relevant, but it often, they often get overlooked. So those trainings have been quite helpful um, as well. And then of course, we've scheduled a few 
mock compliance audits for our clients ahead of September so that they know if there is a chance that they were to be requested to, to present their documents during audit that they've already taken the steps. Um, so in, in addition to that, would you recommend any other ways that companies can partner with Immigration Council? I know you mentioned employer account, Employment Council as well, but Immigration Council to better prepare themselves and avoid those penalties you spoke of. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. So um, I was just talking, there, there, there is so much, you're right, for a compliance, from a compliance um, audit perspective, right to work checks is just one feature if you like, of a compliance audit, but it, it does sit within the record keeping area, if you like. So definitely along with right to work checks for employees, how they got their role, how it was advertised, how they were identified. Those are the sorts of things that employers need to know. Um, again, definitely maybe with recruiters and clients or sort of with businesses. Uh, it would be helpful for them to have the updated guidance in terms of what's required, what's not. And actually, it's a it's a lot more of a condensed list now. So it should be an easier task. But it's just knowing that the employers have access to the right documents should the Home Office want these. So in addition to right to work checks, just the, the greater sort of um, uh, record keeping. The other thing I was going to say is also visa expiry dates. So important, especially now that we have European nationals who have applied for, some of them applied for pre-settled status because they haven't qualified for settled status. So definitely keeping records of when they hit the five years so that, you know, they know to make a settled status application and that, you know, they're not working beyond their, their pre-settled status um, date if you like so uh visa expiry dates follow up right to work checks again right to work checks it comes back to that again are employers required to record expiration dates for settled status or indefinite leave to remain not not for settled status or indefinite leave at that point they have a um continuous right to to work in the UK so and, and there's no time limit so once somebody has settled status or indefinitely to remain there is no end time if you like um, it's indefinite so there's no requirement the only requirement I guess is just to have it updated that they have on, on the visa expiry dates that you know there is no longer uh, an end date that they have settled status so that there's less liability for the employer there's less liability for the business and they don't have to keep tracking someone unnecessarily where they don't have to they really just need to concentrate on those who have time limited periods or where they have an expiry date coming up so that's yeah that's very helpful good question though definitely yeah, yeah. very helpful I, I just want to say thank you uh to you Riz and, and Zara for this conversation and this uh, perspective, right? The, this global perspective, especially as we get back to work and as the world is beginning to open back up and, and travels is resuming. Um, a lot of companies and, and employers, they're, they're hiring and they need to have the, the right uh, applications in place, whether it's for uh, the, their status or right to work, and we, they need to be prepared in these times as we open back up this economy. So your insight is uh, definitely valuable, and, and we appreciate that. Oh, definitely. Thank you. No, uh, yeah, you. I, I think we probably could have just continued 
speaking and i'm sorry i've been packing in a lot but there's a lot <laughs> yeah we might have to make this a, a part yeah. one and part two no absolutely but Seriously. yeah <laughs> very happy to i'm sure there'll be i don't know 10 other changes between now and then for part two but thank you thank you for having um thank you for having me and I'm, i've really enjoyed this session so thanks yeah. Yeah, I echo Rizwana and thank you so much for having us on for this very timely session and uh, it's lovely chatting with you as well. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.